One of the earliest heretics of the Christian church was a man named Marcion of Sinope. He was born into a Christian family in the first century, around the year 85 AD. He became a successful sea merchant. And then in the early second century, he traveled to Rome, where he made a large donation to the Christian church there and began teaching. Now, once the church found out what Marcion was teaching, they ended up returning his donation to him and excommunicating him. And yet, despite how quickly and how definitively the church condemned what he had to say, it seems that in every generation there are those who gravitate back toward his ideas. Or maybe I should say his idea. You see, while Marcion taught many things, there was one central idea behind all of it. And that idea was, well, it was pretty simple. Marcion believed that God, the God of Jesus Christ, is a perfectly good and gracious being. In fact, he believed that God is not only good, but is good and nothing but good, or solum modo bonus, as he said in his Latin. And because God is gracious and good, he is not and cannot be the divine judge that we read about in the Old Testament. Either can God can be a God of judgment and wrath, or he can be a God of goodness and grace. He cannot be both. That was Marcion's big idea. And like I said, it's an idea that seems to crop up in every generation. In fact, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would have to admit that it's an idea that frequently seems to crop up in our own minds. We all love to talk and sing about God's grace and His love, but we rarely talk about His justice. As the famous American theologian Richard Niebuhr observed, the way that we talk makes it sound like we believe that a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. But not J.I. Packer. Packer doesn't fall prey to the seductive ideas of Marcion. In fact, as you read chapters 12 and 13 and 14, you'll, you'll notice an interesting pattern. Not only does Packer think you shouldn't separate the love and grace of God from the justice of God, he thinks you can't. Or at least he thinks you can't understand the grace and love of God until you properly understand God's judgment of sin. As he puts it in chapter 13, God is not true to himself unless he punishes sin. And unless one knows and feels the truth of this fact, that wrongdoers have no natural hope of anything from God but retributive judgment, one can never share the biblical faith in divine grace. That's a very bold statement. Certainly not one that Marcion would agree with. Nor, I imagine, is it one that makes much sense to many contemporary Christians who celebrate the grace of God but dislike talk of His judgment. So why does Packer say that? Why does he think that you can't share the biblical faith in divine grace until you feel the truth of God's just, just punishment of sin? And why do we often see things differently? Well, to answer that question, it's helpful to pay attention to what Packer says about our common understandings of love and grace. When we hear these words, words like love or goodness or grace, we often equate it with attitudes 
of kindness and tolerance, with being non-judgmental and easygoing and sympathetic. And when we think of God as loving or gracious, we often transfer those same ideas, those same connotations onto Him. But that's a mistake, according to Packer. Because, as he notes in chapter 12, while God is love, as 1 John says, 1 John also tells us that God is also light, which means that he is holy and pure and is adamantly opposed to moral darkness. And that must inform how we understand God's love. For, as Packer puts it, the God who is love is first and foremost light. And sentimental ideas of his love as an indulgent, benevolent softness, divorced from moral standards and concerns, must therefore be ruled out from the start. God's love is holy love. The same thing is true when it comes to God's grace. Because we modern people, we also tend to misunderstand grace. And the reason that we do is because we tend to misunderstand ourselves by not taking our sin very seriously. Modern men and women, Packer says, naturally incline to a high opinion of themselves. They view material wealth as, in any case, more important than moral character. And in the moral realm, they are resolutely kind to themselves, treating small virtues as compensating for great vices and refusing to take seriously the idea that, morally speaking, there is anything much wrong with them. I don't know about you, but I think Packer hits the nail on the head with that observation. It's true, we do tend to be, as he puts it, resolutely kind to ourselves. We think lightly of sin. We try not to dwell too much on our guilt. And when we do begin to feel at all the weight of our wrongdoing, we can count on our friends to tell us not to be so hard on ourselves to lighten up, to forgive ourselves. Or if friends aren't around, we can just get rid of those negative feelings by checking our email or watching a video on YouTube or turning on a movie or a sports game. Either way, be it by way of distraction or through some kind of therapeutic self-help strategy, we find ways not to think too poorly of ourselves, not to feel too badly about our sin. And in so doing, according to Packer, we make it impossible for ourselves to experience the wonder and joy of God's grace. Because you see, the only way to genuinely know and feel God's grace, the only way to really experience the wonder and joy of it is to allow yourself to be surprised by it. God does not owe grace to sinners. We can't demand it from Him nor presume upon it. God's decision to be gracious toward us, to pardon us of our sin, to adopt us as His children, to grant us eternal life, His decision is just that, a decision, a free choice. Things didn't have to be that way. And so we should not presume on grace. We shouldn't take it for granted. Instead, we should allow ourselves to be astonished, surprised, overwhelmed once again, that God does not treat us as we deserve, but that instead, for no other reason than His own free decision, He grants us the gift of His Son, who bears our sin in His body on the cross, and the gift of His Spirit, who brings us from death into life, 
and guarantees our future redemption. If you aren't astonished by that, if you're not at least a little surprised, if there's nothing in that which causes you to wonder, then as Packer might say, chances are you're not really understanding the grace of God. Those who do know God's grace, those who have truly experienced it will, as Packer says at the end of chapter 13, they will live lives marked by a profound sense of gratitude. And when I read that at the end of chapter 13, I was reminded of the words of one of my favorite poems by the poet Wendell Berry. The theme of the poem is aging. He wrote it when he was around 70. And he wrote it to his wife of many years. And at the end of the poem, he addresses her. And he says, And you who are as old almost as I am, I love as I loved you young, except that old, I am astonished at such a possibility and am duly grateful. I love that final line where he says, except that old, I am astonished at such a possibility and am duly grateful. He's grown old. He no longer takes his or his wife's life for granted. And so now he feels astonished at the opportunity that he has been given to love her. Now he no longer takes it for granted. And so he's duly grateful. If we are to know the love and the grace of God, I think something very similar must take place in our own lives. Until we recognize just how little we deserve God's kindness, until we take seriously the full weight of our sin, until we stop presuming on God's grace, we won't feel the astonishment that we should. And until we do, we won't be duly grateful.